All right, we are continuing our class on the spiritual disciplines. This is week eight. It is the final week of the spiritual disciplines class. And we've covered quite a bit. We've talked about reading the Word, hearing the Word, memorizing the Word, meditating on the Word, prayer, fasting, serving, spiritual gifts, stewardship, and evangelism. And after today, you will have seen over 600 slides. Goes pretty quick, doesn't it? Today we are going, and we are going to be looking at the topic of Christian learning. Learning as a Christian and learning as a spiritual discipline, part of what the Christian life is supposed to include. When you go into Scripture and you look in like Proverbs, in Proverbs 10 it says, wise men store up knowledge. The wise man is constantly learning. If you would be wise, you would be someone who is always learning. It says he stores up knowledge. The idea there is to... Store it up like gold, like you would store silver or some precious metal. It's storing up treasure. Proverbs 9, give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase his learning. It's the proud person who says, I don't need to learn anymore. I've got this all figured out. It's the proud person who says, I have nothing else to learn. But if we truly look at who we are, what we know, we will find out that we really don't know a whole lot. We're never too old to learn. We're never too wise to learn. And the second you say you're too wise or too smart to learn more, you just proved how much you really need to learn. If you're humble, you'll be teachable. You'll want to learn. Proverbs 23, 12 Apply your heart to discipline and your ears to the words of knowledge. Learning is a lifelong pursuit. It never ends. There's so much about the world, the earth, the creation that we don't know yet, that you and I don't know. I was bored earlier this week and I was scrolling through YouTube and I found a physics lecture from MIT. This Einstein looking guy with gray hair that kind of poofs out. He's a little off-center, dresses kind of weird, but man, that guy knows his stuff. And I didn't understand 90% of what he said, but it sounded really impressive. <laughs> he knew his stuff, and he was talking about things that I had no concept of, and he was doing it off the top of his head. There's so much we don't know just about the world that we live in. The Bible says you don't even know your own heart. Your heart is deceitful, it tricks you, it's too deep for you to understand. Now, if that's true of the creation, if that's true of who we are, then how much more is that true of our knowledge of God? How deficient we are in our knowledge and our understanding of who God is. And notice he says, apply your heart to discipline. The discipline of learning. If you want to learn, if you want to grow in knowledge, you have to discipline yourself. You have to commit yourself and be intentional about learning. You have to say, I'm going to learn. Just like you have to say, I'm going to pray. You have to be intentional about going and learning and growing in your knowledge. Proverbs 23, same one. Okay. 
the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God is the pursuit of the Christian life. John 17, 3, he says, this is eternal life that you may know God. Knowing God and loving God are connected. Mark 12, verse 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And then later in that verse, he says, with all of your mind. The pursuit of the knowledge of God is a demonstration of your love for God. And if you don't understand how that works, just think about your spouse. If you said, I love my spouse, I just don't want to know about him or her. I just don't want to learn anything about them. I don't care what they like. I don't care what they want. I don't want to know it. Is that really love? If you love someone, you will want to know about them. You will want to know what makes them happy, what makes them sad, what upsets them. The goal of Christian learning is that we can grow in our love of God, in our love of Christ. The goal of learning is not so we can be like this guy. The professor surrounded by his books, looking over his reading glasses, smoking his pipe, and looking at all you ignorant ones. That's not the goal. We don't want to be that person. And we also don't want to be this guy. A head full of knowledge. Leonard Ravenhill used to say, guys, go to seminary. They get a big fat head and a shrunken heart. They fill up with a whole bunch of knowledge and then they just die spiritually because that's all they have. They just have a whole bunch of knowledge. They had the wrong goal. The goal of the Christian life is not just to fill your head with knowledge. First, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 14, 20, he said, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. We want to grow in our knowledge so we can be mature, so that we can grow as children of God. 2 Peter 3, 8, he says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherever you are today is where you are today. And the goal is by tomorrow that you will know more about Christ and that you will love him more. And by the next day you will know more about him and it just keeps on going. Philippians 1.9, Paul said in this, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Saying I love God with no knowledge of who God is, is not love. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Your knowledge of God is directly connected to your walk. I think if every time I sinned, I had a better vision of who God is, I probably wouldn't have gone and committed that sin. If I just had a better understanding and a better view of God, a lot of the sin in my life would fall away. I'd be too scared to do it. 2 Peter 1.5 Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. Peter's argument is, you should be growing. And he gives this list of things that you should be growing in. And one of them is your knowledge, your understanding. The very next verse, excuse me, three verses later. 
For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You should be growing in your knowledge, and that will help you grow in the other areas that he lists. And if you are growing in those areas, you will not be useless or unfruitful. But if you are not growing in those areas, if you're not growing in your knowledge, if you're not growing in your sanctification, he says, for, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. The Christian life is one of growth. The Christian life is one that you should be seeking to learn more each and every day so that you can grow. Donald Whitney said this, Christians must realize that just as a fire cannot blaze without fuel, so burning hearts are not kindled by brainless heads. We must not be content, we must not content ourselves to be like those the Bible condemns as having a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You, you see these people on TV, they're real enthusiastic and they're flopping and flailing, but they have absolutely no understanding of the God they say they love. Because if they, if they did, they wouldn't be doing the things they're doing. True zeal for God is based on a true understanding of who God is and a true knowledge of God. Okay, so what are some ways that Christians can learn? How do Christians go about the process of learning and growing in their knowledge of God? I'm just going to give you a short list. First one's obvious, preaching. Closely connected to that and also included in that is teaching. Preaching is what you hear on Sunday morning in the service. Teaching is what we're doing right now. There's reading. That can be paper or audio books. There's electronic media, so you can listen to sermons and lectures online, on your phone, and a million other different ways. And then there's just good old Christian conversation. Having conversations with other believers, which is why fellowship is so important. We're not going to cover all of these today. We're probably going to hit maybe two or three of those, four of those. But I want to start with the very first one. Preaching. Preaching is a means by which we learn. It's a means by which we are taught and instructed in the things of God. One of the words the New Testament uses to describe preaching is didasco. It means to teach, to give instruction, to instill doctrine, to explain, to expound. The goal of preaching is that you would learn something. That you would learn more about what Scripture says and about who God is. But it's not just head knowledge that it's pursuing. The goal isn't just for you to have a bunch of knowledge. The goal is that your life and your will would change. That your mind would change and that you would start living differently. The goal of all Christian learning is that we would live differently. But we need to understand that preaching is not magic. It's not magic. You can't just show up and it's like osmosis. If you just hold the Bible next to your head, you'll pick it up. It requires that you be actively involved in the process of preaching. Yes, the preacher is the one up there speaking, but you being involved in it is a requirement. Just look at the example in Scripture, Acts 17, 11. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. This was not passive listening. 
They weren't sitting there just accepting everything that was said to them. There was an active involvement on the part of the people listening. God has given pastors and preachers for your benefit and for your growth. Ephesians 4 says they were given as a gift to the church. And today, you have access to all sorts of preaching that's available to you. But in the New Testament, it does not say, collect a whole bunch of preachers for yourself and go and find every preacher you can and just take what's best from all of them. When the Bible, when the New Testament speaks about the preaching you are to be listening to, it's from your local church. It's from your local pastor. Your primary preacher is the preacher of your local church. 1 Peter 5, he says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. God has given to each church a congregation, and to that congregation he has given gifted men as preachers. And those are your primary source for preaching. Your local church is your primary source for preaching. John MacArthur cannot be your pastor. He cannot be your primary preacher. You know why? His sermons are designed for his congregation. His sermons are designed to meet the needs of the people in his church. They're not designed to meet the needs of people in San Antonio or in Bernie or in Kerrville. Although there is benefit to listening to them. The sermons that are preached here are designed and prepared with the congregation here in mind. So we want to make sure that we are focusing our attention on the preaching given at our local church by the pastors here. Okay, so how do you make the most of preaching? Um, I have this book, Expository Listening by Ken Rainey. And in the back of the book, he gives a good summary of how you can make the most out of the preaching experience, how you can get the most out of preaching. And I'm going to start just by looking at what you need to do to prepare for the sermon. How do you prepare for Sunday morning? How do you prepare to hear a sermon? And some of you might be saying, well, I don't think I really need to be the one preparing. It seems to me that if I'm going to... If someone's going to prepare for Sunday morning, shouldn't it be the preacher that's preparing? I'm just here to listen. I'm just here to learn. I don't need to prepare anything. Charles Spurgeon says something on that. Here's what he said. We're told men ought not to preach without preparation. Granted. But we add, men ought not to hear without preparation. Which do you think needs the most preparation? The sower or the ground? I would have the sower come with clean hands, but I would have the ground well plowed and harrowed, well turned over, and the clods broken before the seed comes in. It seems to me that there is more preparation needed by the ground than by the sower, more by the hearer than by the preacher. If we just focus all of our attention on making sure the, the preacher is prepared, it says nothing about the condition of your heart says nothing about, about the condition of the ground the seed is going to be sown into. We need to prepare ourselves to hear the word of God preached. We need to prepare ourselves for the act of worship. 
So let's start with spiritual preparation. Some of these are going to be obvious. Some of these, not so obvious. How do you prepare spiritually? Well, your spiritual preparation begins throughout the entire week. Maintaining a consistent devotional life. You don't turn on spiritually like a light switch. You can't live your whole week chasing after sin, your desires, ignoring God, and then expect to be able to come in on Sunday morning and receive the most benefit from the sermon and receive the most benefit from worship. You can't even really expect to come in and worship as you ought to if that's how you've been living your life. So having a consistent, constant devotional life, having times of family worship throughout the week are necessary to make sure that when you come in on Sunday, your heart is actually prepared to hear the word and actually to worship on Sunday morning. So Saturday night, Sunday morning, there's some more preparation. Read and meditate on scripture that deals with worship. The Psalms is a great place to go. You're coming to worship. Prepare your heart for doing that. Read and meditate on what scripture says about worship. Read through some of the Psalms. See what they're saying about worship. Meditate on that for a while and then apply that as you come in. Secondly, read, on, read and meditate on Scripture that deals with sin and cleansing from sin. Those passages some people really don't like about our sin, those are good passages to read. And then you go to the other passages that deal with the forgiveness and let that encourage you and lift you up, recognizing the gospel, what Christ has done for you, and why you should worship him. You also need to be praying. Thank God for the privilege of prayer and worship. On that first one, I, there is no one else in the world other than the Christian who can truly pray. There is no other religion in the world that truly prays. They may chant, they may talk a lot, but they don't actually pray. Hebrews 10 says the only way you have access to the Father is through the blood of Christ. It is a privilege that you have. And in Hebrews 10, he says you enter into the very throne room of God. And you enter into his presence and he hears what you have to say. That is a privilege that you should thank him for. Worship. You know, it used to be just a few years ago in America, we just assumed we're going to be able to gather on Sunday. We just assumed we're going to have the opportunity to come together as a church and fellowship and, and worship. Anybody still assuming that today? There are churches in the United States right now who cannot gather and worship. And they're having a fight in court just for the privilege of gathering together with the saints and worshiping. So before you come to church, thank God for the opportunity. Thank God for the privilege. You need to pray and seek forgiveness for sin. Coming to church with a guilty conscience will just devastate your worship. It'll make hearing the word really difficult. Deal with sin before you get here so you can worship with a clear conscience. Take it to them. Don't carry it around. Take it to them. Deal with it. 
You need to pray and acknowledge your inadequacy in worship. We can never think we worship rightly. Our worship is never truly what he deserves. It's always somewhat deficient. And you need to acknowledge that with him, tell him about that, and then ask him to aid you in worship. Pray for the church that we would all have his aid in worship. Ask him to soften your heart. We all have a hard heart to some extent. And we're all going to come into church one day and hear something that's going to rub us the wrong way. And you're not going to want to hear it. Ask him to soften your heart. To prepare you so that you will be receptive, so that you will hear, that you will learn, and that you will be able to apply what you have heard. And you won't be, as James says, just a hearer of the word only. That you will be a doer. You can also pray for those preaching. Ask God to empower those who are preaching and teaching. Ask God that his will would be done through the preaching and teaching. That the church would be sanctified, that the church would grow in its knowledge of Christ. That people who are coming into the church who are not believers, that they would hear of Christ and that they would truly believe. Power is not in the preacher. Power is in the word of God. The power is with God. And so you should be praying that God would use whoever it is that's in that pulpit that morning for his glory and for the benefit of his church. Deal with sin before church. We already talked about praying about sin, but deal with sin. If you have sinned against a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, a fellow member of the church, deal with that before you get to church. Resolve the issue. Don't come to church and think your offering to God is going to be acceptable when you still have tension and problems with your brother or sister. Deal with sin. Finally, spiritual preparation. Go to church full of expectation. Go to church expecting to hear from God. Expecting God to give you knowledge and wisdom that you did not have before that will change your life. Expect to grow in sanctification. Expect God to admonish you or encourage you or to help you to grow as a Christian. How often do you come into church and you're like, well, I'm here to check a box. Got to get this done. Come in with expectation. Come in expecting to learn more about God. Okay, so that's spiritual preparation. What about physical preparation? How do you prepare physically to come to church? Get plenty of sleep. I know some of you are laughing because you're like, wait a minute, do you know what job I have? Sleep isn't always an option. And then there's moms in the room going, do you know what job I have? <laughs> but to the extent that it depends upon you, try to be well rested for service. You're going to sit here and listen to someone speak for an hour. And then, you know... <laughs> The ACs might be not working well, and it might be a little warm, and you might fall asleep. Don't do that. 
Get plenty of sleep so that you can come in and you can have a clear head, a clear mind, and that you can actually think and follow with the sermon. If you're tired and you're just trying to stay awake, church is going to be over before you even realize it. And you've missed the entire sermon. Eat a breakfast. If you come into church and you're hungry and your stomach is growling, you know what you're going to be doing? Pastor's going to get up in the pulpit and you're like, when's lunch? And that's all you're going to think about the entire time. When am I going to get to eat again? So eat a breakfast before you come into the service, before you get here, that's going to hold you over until lunch, and that way you're not distracted by being hungry all the time. And then prepare everything Saturday night. This, for those of you who have large families, this is more of a deal than those of us who are single and just one guy. The idea here is you don't want to wake up Sunday morning and be rushed and panicked, and then you come into church and you're just frazzled. And you're worn out, you're tired, you're frustrated. That's not the way you want to come into church. So Saturday night, prepare everything. Set apart Saturday night that you can prepare for service. Lay the clothes out for the kids. Set the table for the morning's breakfast, if you eat breakfast together. Get the diaper bag ready for the baby. Get everything prepared, load up the car, have everything laid out, so Sunday morning you wake up and it's get dressed, brush your teeth, eat breakfast, let's go. Okay, let's talk about Sunday morning. First, get in the mood for worship. Get in the mood for worship. How do you get in the mood for worship? Well, the best way to do that is just start worshiping. So if you have a long drive to church, sing some hymns in the car. Sing with the family. Or if you're alone, it's even better because you sound perfect when you're alone. While you're driving or that morning as you're getting ready, listen to Scripture. Turn on the Dwell app. Have scripture playing, that way it's already in your head. Pray together as a family. Before you leave, come together, let's pray. Next, go to church early, or get to church early. It's just like when you're going to work. You leave the house, you're rushed, you get to work, you're still rushed, and your day is just horrible from then on out because you've just started in a horrible way. You're rushed, you're panicked, everything's not going the way it's supposed to. Get to church early. Wake up a little bit earlier, get here, and I know I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are all here two and a half hours before service starts. So, But get there early. There's some benefits there. You can get a good seat. Especially you have a large family. You're not going to be able to sit together if everything's full. And it also gives you a chance to sit down before the service starts, even if you've had a rough morning. You have a few moments before the service to sit down, to pray, to relax yourself, to focus your mind on what's going to be happening in the service. And you can prepare yourself for the service. Okay. During the service, this is right before the sermon, how do you prepare to listen to the sermon? Sing joyfully. 
even if you're like me and you can't carry a tune. Sing anyway. You're not singing for the person standing next to you. So sing joyfully. Listen to the hymns. Think about what you're singing. That's why we sing good, rich theology, good hymns. Listen to the prayers. Joey prays first thing. Michael's going to get up and pray in the middle. Listen attentively to the prayers. Say amen. Affirm what's being said. Pray the same thing. Think about what's being said. And if you have something to add between you and Lord, add it to the prayer. Don't just sit there and let the words kind of wash over you. Be engaged. Bring your Bible. And the emphasis is on your Bible. There's nothing wrong with you had a rough morning and you're going to use a pew Bible. But if you've had a Bible for a while and then you've had to go use someone else's Bible, you know what I'm talking about. It just doesn't work the same. I know my Bible. I can get to the books fairly quickly. Unless it's one of the minor prophets. It takes me a little bit longer on those. But if, if pastor says, let's go to Psalms, I can get there pretty quick. One or two flips, I'm there. With your Bible, it's the same way. You know your Bible. How many of you, if I gave you a passage that you know, you know where it is on the page? <laughs> she points at her husband. He does. But I know my Bible, if I open to Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 is going to be on the top left. John 17 is going to be on the top right. That's how you know your Bible. And so when pastor says, let's go to a cross-reference, you can get there quickly. And you can follow along with the sermon. Have your Bible open and follow along. That's kind of obvious. But it's amazing how often people will sit there and they've got their Bible open, but they're not even using it. He'll go to a different passage and the Bible stays right where it is. Follow along. Read along. Trace out those cross-references. Engage in the sermon. Take notes. There are some days I'm better at this than others. But you can do this inside your Bible if you wanted to. What do you, what do you take notes on? Write down the outline. And you can put the outline in your Bible. So he's preaching the text. If that outline helps you understand the text, put in the margin the outline. We put it up on the screen so you guys have it. That'll help you not only remember the text, but it'll help you remember what the text is about. And every time you go back to that, that passage, you have that outline right there, and it'll help you remember that passage. Write down key ideas, commands, principles that you want to remember. What was it in this sermon that hit you? What is it in this sermon that you need to apply to your life? What was most impactful to you? Write those things down. What are the cross-references that you, wow, I haven't thought of it that way. Let me go look at that one. Write those down. Be a noble Berean. Ask questions of the text. Exercise some discernment as he's preaching. 
regardless of who the preacher is, whether it's Michael Beck or John MacArthur or anyone else, exercise some discernment. Is this really what the text, does the sermon actually deal with this text? Is he actually talking about the text in front of me? Is that what this text is trying to tell me? Ask some honest questions. Use discernment. So you want to engage the text? You also want to engage the preacher. Respond with something other than a blank stare. Like even right now when I'm teaching and people respond to me, it helps. But when all, I, when all the preacher gets back is this, doesn't really help. Smile, nod your head, make eye contact, be really Baptist, say amen in the middle of it. It lets the preacher know you're actually with him, that you ha- he hasn't completely lost you. If you understand, nod your head. If you agree, say amen, do something. Do something other than just a blank stare. Make eye contact. That only encourages the preacher, but it'll also spur him to preach more passionately. It'll help him engage you better. You will actually be helping the sermon. Okay? After the sermon. Encourage your pastor. Now, we are not talking about encouraging through flattery. If you hated the sermon, please don't go tell the pastor, man, that, that was your best ever. Don't actually believe that. We're not talking about flattery. But you do want to be an encouragement to whoever the preacher is. Tell them what part of the sermon was most helpful to you. Tell them what challenged you. Hey, that was really, that really convicted me when you said X. Or that was really encouraging. When you pointed this out, man, that made the text sound so clear. I really understood the text when you said that. Ask a question about the sermon. You're going through, you're listening, and it seems like he skipped something. And now you've, you're kind of lost. Write down the question. Ask him after the sermon. And you say, well, how does that encourage someone? You know how that encourages them? Because you were actually following along and you actually listened to the sermon and you got something from it. Even if you, what you got out of it was another question. That's still encouraging to him because that means you're listening and the sermon is doing what it's supposed to do. It's making you think. After the sermon, discuss it with the family. Ask simple questions. What was the sermon about today? You know, if, if you ask yourself that question, you might be surprised at your answer. Because you may go, whoa, what was it about? What did you learn? Did you learn anything? Did you grow in any way? What needs to change in your life as a result of the sermon? Is there something that you can apply from that sermon that you can take home, that you can start implementing immediately? Or something that maybe you just need to work on? What was it? Start thinking about a plan to actually enact that and make that a reality. After the sermon, pray. 
we, we're really good at praying before the sermon, praying that the sermon will do something during the service. We're really good at praying in the service and at the end of the service. But we need to pray even after the service, even after the sermon is over. Pray for your family and your church in light of what the sermon said. Take those truths that are in that sermon. If we were talking about walking as children of light, pray that the church would actually walk as children of light. Thank God for his word. Thank God for the sermon. Thank God for the preacher. Thank God for all that you have learned and you have received that morning. Ask for help in living in response to it. And ask God to work in the hearts of all those who heard it. Just assume every time you come into church, there's at least two or three people who are not truly believers. Who have not come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Pray for them. Ask God to make sure that they come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Okay, so we've talked about preparing before the sermon, what to do during the sermon, what to do after the sermon. What about preaching during the week? So your primary source of preaching is going to be your local church. But you also have access to more biblical teaching and preaching than any generation in history. You really do. And it's really going to be a problem on Judgment Day for, some, for a lot of us. Because we didn't take advantage of it. Make good use of it. There's all sorts of resources. You have our website, Sermon Audio, Grace to You, Ligonier, and a million others. And the content is free. You have access to more preaching and teaching than anyone in history. And unfortunately, we are one of the most ignorant generations when it comes to what the Bible says. There's no reason for it. You can engage in good preaching every day of the week. It is your primary way of learning and growing in the Christian life. Okay, any questions on preaching, teaching, comments, anything you want to add? Okay, let's go to the next one. Reading. Now, some of you love reading. Some of you hate reading. Donald Whitney said, I've always found, found it true that growing Christians are reading Christians. For some, it's a habit they find hard to develop. Others love to read. But regardless of where you are, whether you love reading or you can't stand reading, Reading is a vital part of your Christian experience, of your Christian learning. So whether you're someone who loves to read, keep going. And if you're someone who struggles to find joy in reading, I have some tips for you that might be helpful. Okay? First thing, change your mindset. Change your attitude about reading. Because a lot of people, they think about reading, and the only thing they can think of is that high school chemistry book that they were forced to read. It's just boring. How many of you remember those textbooks from high school? Those things are horrible. And that's what you think of reading. You think of reading, and you're like, I don't want to go read a textbook again. 
I don't want to read about something I don't care about. No, go read subjects that you're interested in. Go pick a topic that you actually want to read about. Is there a place for recreational reading where you just go read whatever? Of course. But we're talking about Christian learning here. So pick a topic that you are interested in. Pick a topic that you love. What makes you curious? What makes you ask questions? When you hear about it in church, what makes you go, oh, I'd like to know more about that? Find something you're interested in, and then go pursue that. Now, if we're talking about theology, a great place to start is with a good systematic theology. And some of you are like, that's kind of like the high school textbook again. And I'm not suggesting that if you don't like reading, go to page one of the systematic theology and start reading from there. That's not what I'm saying you should do. Get a good systematic theology and start with something that interests you. Pick a topic of theology that you're just interested in. I'm really interested in eschatology. Go read that. Here's some areas that you can go look at in a systematic theology. You can read about the Trinity, the dual natures of Christ, salvation, the atonement, end times. Take your pick. That's just a few. Go find something that you're interested in and just start reading on it. And if you find out, well, it's not that interesting, pick something else. Those systematic theologies are really thick and they give a lot of verses so you can go and do research. And when you find something that interests you, Go deeper. Find other books on that topic and start reading those. And before you know it, you're going to come into church and someone's going to ask you a question and you're like, I got the answer to that. I know that. Learning happens slowly and before you know it, you're going to be leaps and bounds ahead of where you used to be. So what are some books that you can look at? These are just Random books that I thought were helpful. Let's say you want to learn about the Trinity. James White has a great book, The Forgotten Trinity. It was actually a PhD dissertation he wrote for the average Christian in the church. The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Paul Washer always talks about, when was the last time you studied the attributes of God? Read on the holiness of God. This is actually a lecture. You can actually get this book in audio form, and it's R.C. Sproul giving the lectures. So even if you don't like reading, just listen to it. Or maybe you want to do end times, and you're interested in eschatology. MacArthur, Christ's Prophetic Plans. That thing has a whole bunch of cross-references if you want to study more. If you don't understand dispensationalism... Go read Michael Vlock. Both of these books are available in the bookstore. He lays it out nice and easy. Or if you don't have any interest in theology, read books on things that you just need help with. If there's nothing that interests you, fine. Read books on things that you need help with. Maybe you're struggling with a sin. Maybe you're dealing with a sin and you, you haven't had any success in overcoming it. Go find a book on it. Or maybe it's not you who's struggling with the sin. Maybe it's a family member or a friend or a church member and you just want to minister to that person. Go find a book on that topic 
read the book, study it, and now you can be a minister to your friend, to your family member, to your another church member. So what are some examples? Anger. Stuart Scott has a great little book, Anger, Anxiety, and Fear. It's a little booklet. It's maybe 50 pages. And he's got cross-references, he explains everything, and he even gives assignments on what to work through if you're dealing with the sin. Uprooting Anger. Fantastic book on how to deal with anger. Anybody here never, never struggles with anger? Anybody? Okay. Or maybe you have anxiety, you worry a whole lot. John MacArthur has a great book, Anxious for Nothing. It's written by MacArthur, so it's easy to read. And he helps you understand anxiety and worry from a biblical perspective. Maybe you're dealing with depression. David Martin Lloyd-Jones has a classic on depression, on how to deal with spiritual depression. Or maybe it's sexual sin. Dr. John Street, the best book on this topic. It's a great book. And it doesn't matter if it's you or another person that you know who's struggling. All of these books can be helpful to you, and there are many, 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 many more. Or you can just read books that are encouraging. Read biographies. Read Puritans. Charles Spurgeon, a new biography. Arnold Dollimore. I think this is the best Spurgeon biography I've read. Really good. I actually got to the end of the book when Spurgeon died, and I just about started crying. And it's like, I knew the ending of the book. What? <laughs> it's a good book. Thomas Kidd has a book on George Whitfield. George Whitfield is a really interesting character. And if you've never read about George Whitfield, go learn something about the guy. Because it's part of American history, but it's also part of church history. And it will encourage you. It'll motivate you to a higher level of holiness. Or George Mueller, the autobiography of George Mueller. It's a fantastic book. If you want to motivate your prayer life... Read this little book. Wherever you are in prayer, you'll want to be better because it's amazing. It's a great book. These are great for encouraging you. They're also really good for humbling you. It's real easy to become proud when all you're doing is sitting in a room learning by yourself. And you, it's real easy to start thinking you're excelling and you're doing so wonderfully. And then you go and read about these guys in history, and you see yourself correctly because you see what they accomplished and what they did, and you get, you get humbled by it, and it's encouraging at the same time. You can also be encouraged by the Puritans. Uh, I'll just make one simple recommendation. The Puritan paperbacks. <laughs> okay, so when you're reading Puritans, a lot of you went through the Bruised Read by Richard Sibbs. How many of you liked that? Was that good? It's fantastic, right? So Thomas Watson, Richard Sibbs are some of the easier Puritans. This is on a scale of difficulty. So you start with Thomas Watson or Richard Sibbs, and then you work your way to someone like John Owen. John Owen will, 
you're going to have to work to get through there. Okay? All right, tips for reading, especially if you don't like to read or you haven't developed a habit of reading. Start slow. It's just like when people say, well, I want to have a prayer life, so they say, well, I'm going to go read, I'm going to go pray for three hours every day. No, you're not. You're going to go pray for about 30 minutes, and you're going to be done. And then you're going to be disheartened because you didn't make it three hours. You have to build up to that. So start slow. Don't say, I'm going to read 500 pages in my first sitting. No, you're not. You're not going to make it. Plan to read 10 to 15 minutes, 10 to 15 pages per day. Now, again, I'm not talking about those of you who read constantly, and this is just what you love. I'm talking about those people who you're struggling to read. Take it in small segments. I find I get bored reading. It better be a really good book to keep my interest. And so what I do is I'll read 10 to 15 pages out of this book, and then I'll switch to another book just so I can keep my interest. Do what works best for you. Some of you can sit down and read the same book for three hours, and you love it. Great. But do what works best for you. If you need more pages than 10 to 15, add more. If you need fewer, take fewer. All right. Another tip for reading. Write in your books. No, this is not blasphemy. And no, this is not sacrilege. Okay, it's actually legal. You can do this. Mortimer Adler said, I contend quite bluntly that marking up a book is not an act of mutilation, but of love. And I used to be this guy. You know, the books are on the shelf, you take them off, you read them, and then you carefully put them back. And you don't defile those beautiful pages with my handwritten notes. Just don't do that. And I thought it was like sacrilege to do it. And then I read this great little article by Mortimer Adler, and he gives some great tips on why you should write in your books. One, writing in your book keeps you awake. Literally, it keeps you awake. How many of you have fallen asleep just trying to read a book? Yeah. Get a pencil in your hand or a pen and use that to follow along, and then as you're reading, underline, star, asterisk, just write in the book. Put your thoughts out to the side. Question things. Circle things. Tell them why he's wrong. It'll keep you awake, and you'll be able to look back and see how well you've engaged the text. I, I started trying to do speed reading, and I found something out. When I speed read and I don't write in my books, I don't get anything but I know I'm engaging the text and I'm actually getting something out of the text when I actually take a pencil and I'm underlining things that are meaningful. It'll change the way you engage the text. It'll change the way you read the book. Second, I just talked about this. It keeps your mind actively engaged. Third, it helps you remember what you've already read and what you've thought while reading. If you have a book that you've read through and you've marked up, some of you marked up the Bruise Read, in three months or three years from now, you can go pick that book up, open it back up, and find the areas that were most meaningful to you, and you can do it really quick. And it's like returning to an old conversation. You can see your thoughts off to the margins. 
You can see what you were thinking. If you reread that book, you'll see how much your thoughts have changed since the last time you read the book. Now, I didn't add the quote here. Adler actually mentions this. He says, yes, you should loan your books that you have not written in. Because you, when you write in the book, it becomes yours. And you put your thoughts and your thinking in there and it becomes part of your mind. He's like, you don't lend those books out. You can decide whether or not you agree with him on that. Okay, so tips for reading. Use audiobooks. Yes, this is reading. Isn't it great? Read audiobooks. And I have found if I have an audiobook and I have the physical book in front of me, it's even better. You live in the 21st century. Just like preaching, you have access to more books than anyone in history. And you have access to having someone read it to you anytime you want. So use the audiobooks. iTunes, you can get audiobooks. Audible.com has audiobooks. Play them in the car. Play them when you're at home. And just fill your mind with books. Good Christian books. Yes. San Antonio Library has a free app that you can get free audiobooks. I didn't know about that. That's good. Okay? Or, I mean, not, not all the great theological books, but there are some. Okay. So it doesn't have all the great, doesn't have a whole lot of theology, but that's good even for recreational reading. Or if you want to read on topics outside of theology, you want to read history or science or some other topic, that's part of learning. All right. Questions, comments, anything you'd like to add? So another thing that I've seen that has helped me personally, um, I, I'm part of the people that fall asleep going, didn't, we didn't like reading, but then we, um, me and my husband decided to start doing a book study with another couple from the church, which is a great idea if you're having a hard time with reading, mm-hmm. you're going to be Yeah, great. Did you, was everyone able to hear her? She was saying use accountability. So do book studies with other people. We do book studies here at the church. You can do book studies with people in your family or friends. Read books together and then come together and talk about it. And that will keep you accountable to stay on track and to read the book and try to understand what the book is actually saying. Any other comments, questions? Anything you'd like to add? All right. Let's close in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to to come, to learn, to grow in our knowledge of you, to, to pursue, to try to excel still more in our godliness. And we do ask that you would help us to be intentional learners, to want to grow in our knowledge, that you would help us to grow in our 
our ability to listen actively to sermons and, and preaching. And above all, that we would grow in our knowledge of who you are and who Christ is, and that we would grow in our love for him. And we do ask that you would help us during the service today as we come to hear your word and to worship you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.